Good morning. It's great to see you all. I have something to share with you that is probably going to sound too good to be true. But I'm going to ask you to indulge me a little bit. Um, it's Christmas or close to Christmas. Consider it a gift. What if I could help you have less stress and anxiety in your life? What if I could help you increase your awareness of yourself and the things around you? What if I could help you with your general emotional state? What if a bunch of things in your heart, mind, and soul could change with a single practice? Would you be interested? That's what I want to share with you this morning. I want to share with you something that is biblical and that can be life-changing. And here's the thing. I think every single person in this room right now already does it. You're just not doing it well. Just like me. Open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to tell you the story first, just walk you through. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, so we are at this point somewhere between one and two years after his birth. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Our best guess is that these wise men are connected to those that Daniel was given charge over. From the region or area of Babylon, and we had that reading from Daniel, and that these guys are left over from those who were under Daniel. Saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, one of the things you need to know is that Herod was not born a king. He had to earn that from Rome. Whereas, this one is born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We'll spend a few minutes there once we finish this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. One of the things you need to know about Herod is he was tyrannical, he was constantly worried about things happening, he killed a wife and at least three of his own children to protect himself and his throne. You can see why Jerusalem might be a little bit nervous right now. Somebody comes in and begins asking about a different king, and we know later on in the text what Herod's going to do about it. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. 
For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They know exactly what to look for. Herod wants to know what's going on with this king. He calls the religious leaders. They come in. They point in the exact right direction. Here it is. Then Herod listens to them, summons the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And later on, he'll use that information. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Good setup for Herod. He's going to use everybody around him to get what he wants, including these wise men. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them and came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now just think about this. They've been looking for this for a long time, especially if this goes back to Daniel. Centuries, this group has been looking for this. They are really excited to see where this star is finally going down, and they're going to go there. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Right, that's our account. I want to suggest to you in these three characters, the wise men, Herod, and the religious leaders, all of them do this thing, this thing that has the potential to help all of us in this room, not only, in general, just have a better frame of mind for life, but it will lead, when done rightly, to a greater worship of God. That's what you see with the wise men. What they're doing leads to the worship of God. However, when Herod does it, and when the religious leaders do it, it does not lead to that same thing. So what is it? Why did they come? Why did they come from the east to here? They came because they wanted to see the one born king of the Jews. But what led them? Back in our text, we all know this. We sang the song. You see it all the time during this season. For we saw his star when it rose. All right, let's talk about stars. Um, there's a lot of information about stars. You can go do your own research. I did mine. In the Milky Way, the estimates are between 100 billion and as high as, although 400 billion seems to be the normal number, as high as 700 billion stars in the Milky Way. Now, when you walk out and you look up, well, not in Frisco, you can't see much, but if you go to the country, if you go somewhere where there's not all the light pollution, and you look up, have you ever just looked up and went, oh my goodness, like you're just overwhelmed. I mean, there are so many stars. Do you know that on a really good night, in an area where there's a lot, where it's dark, where your vision is good, that you will see no more than between 2,000 and 5,000 stars. 
Because by the naked eye, that's all you can see. Does it look like more than that? I mean, when you look up, it just looks like it goes on forever. But by the naked eye, if you actually started counting them, you would not get more than 5,000 stars. And again, the range is because different people are counting in different ways and brightness. And, but, but could you imagine looking up at even 2,000 of them? Most of them look like what? Just little dots of light, right? Could you imagine looking up and going, oh, wait a minute. That dot's new. What, what does that take to like go, whoa, where did that, that that's it. I mean, okay, just look at these stars back here. I bet you've been looking at these stars for the last couple of weeks at least. You've glimpsed them, you've seen them. If I added one, I bet no one would notice. And there's only a few stars on there. How would you notice if you had been studying those pictures? If you spent time contemplating and studying these stars on a regular basis, the moment it changed, you might go, no, whoa, wait, wait, wait. There was not one right there. I noticed a pattern here. That pattern's different now. Then you might notice it. The only way you're going to notice that star is if you contemplate the heavens on a regular basis. And that's exactly what they do. That's what these wise men did. They contemplated the heavens. They spent time reflecting on, looking at. Do you know that it takes at least 30 minutes of being out in the dark before your eyes get to the point where you can see as much as you possibly could in the night sky in the first place? It takes time. That's what they were doing. They were contemplating, they were considering, they were meditating, they were reflecting, whatever word you'd like to use. And can I tell you how biblical that idea is? Let me give you some examples. When Samuel, when they got a new king, Saul, and Samuel knew they shouldn't get a king, but when God finally relented and said, you're gonna get a king, do you know what Samuel told them? I want you to consider the greatness of God. Why? So that you will not sin. Now think about that connection there. I want you to reflect on, meditate on how great God is. Because in doing so, it can lead to better actions on your part. Or something very pragmatic. In the Proverbs, at one time it says, oh sluggard, consider the ant. What's it doing? I want you to dwell for a moment on what ants do. Because it will help you with your own sluggardness. Jesus, remember the not worry passage? Consider what? Consider the lilies of the field. Consider the ravens. Again, this idea of think on, consider, reflect on. It's all over the scriptures. Joshua, God tells him in chapter one, I want you to meditate day and night on the word. Don't let it pat, keep doing it. I want you to contemplate this. There is this idea running through the scriptures that we are to contemplate, right? Jesus, one evening, he goes up on a mountain, and do you know how long he prays? All night. Now, either he has the longest Santa Claus list ever, and it took the entire night to ask God all the requests that he had, or that prayer was something more than just petitions. 
And I would almost guarantee you it involved thinking deeply on the beauty of God, on his grace, on his love. I can't imagine sitting out on that mountain that there wasn't something out of Psalm 8. Wow, when I consider the heavens, what is man that you're even mindful of him? But even in that psalm, what's happening? David is looking up and going, wow, God, you are amazing. And it wasn't a fleeting glance. He's thinking on, dwelling on, contemplating on the magnificence of the heavens. Because we are called to be a people that thinks deeply, that loves God with all of our mind. So I have been encouraged by my Apple Watch um, since I first got it to breathe. Every five hours, it goes, and I look down and it's going, breathe. It happened this morning while I was sitting back there. Breathe. And here's the thing that I know about my Apple Watch. I am convinced of this. It does not have a wife and four kids. It has no guinea pig and no cat and no super needy Labrador retriever. It does not have after-school sports. It does not have to make trips to the grocery store. It does not have music lessons. It has none of these things because I do not have time for oxygen. And why do that when I have coffee? I mean, caffeine keeps me going just fine. But it keeps telling me, breathe, breathe. I'm like, I don't have time to breathe. Here's the problem. Every single one of us, we are contemplating. We are taking time. We are thinking deeply. But I would suggest, if you're like me, we're just thinking deeply about the wrong things. In fact, we're going to come back to the Magi in a few minutes. I want to jump to Herod, though. Look with me at verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Now, that reaction isn't out of the blue. It's coming out of the things that Herod is contemplating. What does Herod contemplate? All of his fears that he will lose his throne. All of the scary scenarios about who's trying to overthrow him. Why did he murder his own children? Because he was afraid they were going to take the throne. Because what he's contemplating are all of the possible negative futures. And it drives him. And he runs the scenarios all the time in his head. That's what he's thinking about. Can I ask you, what are you contemplating? What is running through your head on a regular basis? What is the thing you think about deeply? Is it fear-based? Are you constantly wondering how this is going to work out or that is going to work out or if I make the reaction here or if I get this thing here? How much time do you spend doing that? I mean, if you could just step away from yourself for a moment and look over a day and go, I spent this time here and this time here. Can I ask you, how many of you at times are having difficulty sleeping? And it's because you're running the scenarios in your head because the things we dwell on impact us. In fact, in Herod's case, he is not even able to see what God is doing 
Because the vision in his mind of him losing his power is so big, he can't hear anything else. It reminds me of when I was younger and I would get up on Saturday mornings and this is before DVRs and Netflix and you, know, you just had to get up and actually watch the cartoons, including the commercials, and you just sit there for hours on the couch watching the TV. And I would remember that at some point as I'm watching this, my mom is suddenly yelling at me about something. And I'm going, like, what? Couldn't you just ask nicely? I mean, you gotta like yell at me? Now, what of course I didn't know, and every single parent in this room knows, is it was the fifth time she'd said it to me. Right? Isn't that what happens to our kids now? You come in and you go, hey! And it's like you don't even exist because the screen is all-encompassing and what's playing right there takes all the attention and you can't possibly hear the voice that's behind you going, hey, I need you to do something or answer this question or whatever's playing on the screen of your mind, it's really big and it's driving things in you and it's driving some of the anxiety and it's driving the sleeplessness and it's not letting you hear from God in the way God wants to speak. All of us contemplate things. It's just sometimes they're the wrong things and it leads to the wrong result. Now, the religious leaders are contemplating something too. Look down at verse four. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, they know the answer. They know the scriptures. They know right where to go. They know how to quote it. But do you know what you don't see in this passage? Oh, the king, the Messiah, he's to be born right here. Wow, let's go see if he has shown up. There's no response to the scriptures from the religious leaders. They know the answers, but to be frank, they don't seem to care. They've memorized the scripture, but it doesn't really mean anything. And if you look over, especially, and I don't want to lump all Pharisees into one category. There's a lot of really good Pharisees according to what we read in Josephus. However, the ones that are interacting with Jesus, that group, Here's one thing Jesus says. He says to all the people, I want you to do the things they teach you, but don't do the things they do. Why? Because they know the answers. They know the scriptures. They've memorized them. But they don't seem to really care because their contemplation is not humbly submitting themselves to the scriptures. It seems to be more related to power, position. I don't want to lose this. I got to make sure I know more than you. But actually living that out, there's no action connected to their contemplation. And oh my gosh, do I feel guilty of this at times. I mean, just, I'll go study the scripture and I can even quote it to you. But it's not sinking in. I'm not humbly sitting beneath the scripture and contemplating it in the way that I might look at the stars and go, wow, I am small. I'm just like learning it. It's, it's a duty, or it's a checkbox, or, or it's something, but what it's not 
is a humbly sitting beneath the scripture and letting it drive me where I'm contemplating it. God, this is your word. Almighty God of the universe, the creator gave this word. Wow, I need to let this sink in a little bit. They're not letting it sink in. It's just hitting them and bouncing off. But here's the thing. Whatever it is you're truly contemplating, whether it is your fears, whether it's a desire to hold on to whatever power you may have, or whether it is God, God's love, God's word, God's beauty and creation, it's going to impact you. It's going to have some effect on how you live and think and feel and relate to people. I read this interesting story about a guy named Randy Hess, maybe Heiss, I'm not sure how to say his last name. I wish they would give pronunciations in stories so I'd know. But his name is Randy. And he lives in Arizona near the border. And on his ranch while taking a walk, he found a balloon that had popped and it had fallen. And he gets the balloon and it's got a note connected to it. The note is written in Spanish. He can a little bit make out what the note says, and he thinks it looks like a Christmas list. But he takes it back to his wife because she speaks fluent Spanish. And that's exactly what it is. It's a Christmas list. Now, I can tell you, not with certainty, but pretty close, I would have probably left it at that point. I mean, what do you do with that? You've got a balloon that came from somewhere that landed on your ranch and it's got a note with no, I mean, it's got a name, but it has no address or anything on it. What do you do with that? Nothing, you go, that's kind of interesting and I'm kind of sorry for this kid. But here's what he did. He got a hold of, well, first, he checked wind patterns to try to figure out where the balloon would have blown from. Then he got a hold of a radio station in this city across the border got a hold of a radio station to help him find this family. They found the family. He took a day off of work. He went with his wife to the store, and they bought a bunch of these Christmas gifts. And then they brought them to the family, both for the daughter and for her sister. I would not have gone that far. I just wouldn't have. But there's a reason that he did. For nine years... He had been contemplating something. Christmas without children. He's 60 years old and his son died nine years ago. His only child. And they've been thinking about this. And, and when he saw it, he remembered, one, he actually used to put a note connected to a balloon and let it go off so it would go to Santa. I mean, he knew even before what it was. When he saw the list, like, yes, I know what this is. But more importantly, he had been thinking about what is it like to have Christmas without my child? And it so impacted him that he went through all of that trouble to get Christmas gifts to this family. Because what we dwell on, what we think on, what takes up our mental and emotional uh, capacity it is what comes out of us. 
It is how we see things. It's how we react to things. And it is why the wise men, what do they do? Go back into the text. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced. Man, they'd been thinking about this. They'd been looking for it. They'd been dwelling on it. And if they are connected to Daniel, there's at least some belief that goes along with this. There's something here. And these guys have been looking at what the creator has been doing. And it has changed them. And so when they get here, they are really excited. And they go into the house. And, and these guys have a giant caravan with them. They're bringing expensive gifts. When they go into Jerusalem and start inquiring, I mean, word immediately gets to Herod. Because it's not three guys who rode in on a donkey who were just kind of going door to door asking things. This is a caravan with wealth. These guys essentially are kings. But boy, when they get in the presence of the one they've been waiting for, they've been contemplating, they, they, this is the one born the king. These guys that are held in such high esteem lay their treasures out before him and worship the true king. Because that is what happens when your heart is not centered on fears, not centered on power, but centered on God, centered on the amazing beauty of our king, centered on his love, centered on his grace and his salvation. It produces in us worship. How can it not? I mean, just consider who he is. How could you not want to worship? But it also has all those side effects. The more you trust in God, the less worry you have, the less anxiety you have. The more time you sit and you think on him and you breathe, the more calm you are, the better reactions you can have. And I mean, these are like, there are studies out there, even using fMRI, is that right? <laughs> okay where they're studying brain scans. And they're actually doing studies where they're watching things change through these simple practices of contemplating, meditating. So, where do you go from here? If you actually want to do this. I'm gonna be very practical for a minute. I do want you to consider all the things you contemplate right now. Not at this direct moment, I mean, go home and do it. Um, but just think about the things that do occupy your mind. Think about the amount of time you use with those things that are fear-based. Now, what can you do? Number one, really, really simple. I hope nobody comes after me for being new age or anything like that, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. There is great value in just sitting and focusing on your own breathing just to calm yourself down, to calm your mind, to just sit and think even about your surroundings a little bit. Because what you're doing is you're trying to get your mind off of all of the things that's running amok, and you're just settling a little bit. Try contemplating one aspect of God. Just think about his love. 
Think about all the ways that he has loved you or your family or the world. Think about a passage or two in scripture that specifically talk about God's love. Think about God's grace and what that means, his mercy or forgiveness, and just sit and think on those things. Or for those of you that love nature, find something in nature and spend a little bit of time just looking at that thing in relationship to the creator. Think of the beauty. I mean, there are so many things God didn't have to do. I mean, think about the beauty of this world, all the colors and the differences, the trees and the flowers and the animals, I mean, just all of it. Think about the human, every single person in this room. You all look human and you all look different. That seems crazy to me because they're so subtle and yet so very, very different. Just think about the beauty of creation. Because one way or another, you're going to think deeply about things. Make it God things. Make it godly things. Make it spiritual things. Because in that thinking, it helps change us. So the other thing that my Apple Watch does is it tells me to stand all the time. Every hour, it tells me to stand. In fact, it's the only thing I successfully do every single day. I get my 12 hours of stand. The calories, no. The walking, no. But I get my 12 hours of stand. I almost want to beat my watch sometimes because I think it's making fun of me. Woohoo! You stood up. I mean, that's what it's doing. But here's the thing it doesn't actually know if I'm standing or sitting. And I can fool my watch. <laughs> my watch is mad, it's taking over right now. I'm smarter than you think. I mean, I can just do this, and it'll think that I stood up. But I'm not actually getting any benefit of standing by doing that. And if you want the benefit of truly practicing contemplation, it can't just be going through motions. It's not a checkbox. Start somewhere, start easy, Sit down for a couple of minutes and just dwell on God. Pick something to think on. But, and here's the thing, it has to be a regular practice in our lives. Our times of waiting, those are perfect times to practice this. You got nothing else to do, right? But throughout our lives, it's a consistent practice where the biggest benefits are recognized. And in our case, the biggest benefit is a growing sense of how amazing and beautiful and wonderful our God is so that our worship increases. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty of creation. Thank you for the awesomeness of your love and your grace. Thank you that we can call you Father Thank you that you would do so much in our lives, Lord. Help us to go away from our contemplation of our fears and more into focusing on you. Because you are reality. Most of our fears are not. You are truth. You are the way. You are what we need. 
Lord, help us to put our minds solidly every single day on you that we might be transformed into people who serve you, love you, represent you in the way that you would have us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.